When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From the fifth quarter studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. And now, your host, Steve Collins. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to uh, Coach Unplugged. Um, before we jump off into the podcast today, I'd like to give a big shout out to our two sponsors. First of all, Dr. Dish, the number one shoe machine on the market. They are innovative. They are easy to use. They are... Um, They've made the, the they've made the eighteen year old in my house a shooter because <laughs> uh, he's taking a lot of shots on that machine. So um, go over and check it out. Um, you can help the podcast out by just letting them know that you heard it from us. Um, mention mention Coach Unplugged, and you will get the biggest discount. I don't I know a lot of people have a three hundred dollar, but we have a three hundred fifty dollars because I fight for you guys. Three hundred fifty dollar discount. Mention Coach Unplugged, and they'll give you. $350 discount. So go over and do that. Also go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. One-stop shop. It is a little bit of everything you need to become a better basketball coach. Um, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm not uh, super optimistic about our basketball season this year, but I will be available. Um, I, I think I'm going to be available a lot. Um, I'm not going to be a practice. I'm going to be available to help you and uh, mentor you and, and uh, hopefully help your team. So come over and join us at teachhoops.com. Um, become a better basketball coach. You know, there's lots of resources. You have lots of great resources and available out there. But um, if we have content, we put it in. We, we're, we're not going to upsell you. We're not going to all of a sudden, you know, say, hey, look, we have these three courses, but we also have this membership. Now, if we have it, we're going to put it in into our membership. We're not going to upsell you like I know some people are, are doing right now. So go over and check it out and let's head off to the podcast. So again, these were designed for our, our players particular guys right like right. we knew we we're going to have mismatches and that was one that we actually earlier in the year had come from about 20 down in a game gotten that play at the very last play he scored it we went on to overtime and won the game so you hear of these kind of things all the time right where you practice something earlier in the year it either doesn't work or it does work and then you pull it out again at the end that was one like that that we had used earlier in the year and then pulled out at the end I like that um, let me show you the quick hitters here. This is I love that. I love that. I love when you set up in the high high one four. 
Yeah. And so, they cut across like that. That's just such a hard thing to defend. The um, other thing that you can do with those horns plays is if you like the the one four sets, you can just bring the corner guys up. And yeah. similar to what we talked about with the out of bounds plays, you can basically double your playbook with a lot of your plays right? by running them out of the horn set or out of the four high. And this is the one that we had talked about where they had scouted this national championship game. You have that Iverson cut over the top and they think it's going to be a lob. And so he cheats and goes under. And when he goes under, you have the turnaround, the rescreen, and then the. I mean, he's a, that kid. I mean, I've seen that kid shoot twice. He's a scorer because he caught that ready to shoot it. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> so and two, you know, if if you have advanced players, you can teach them. If they go under, then we're flipping the screen. If they right. So even within that, you can double your playbook by adding additional kind of little tweaks to your to your place is there anything else you'd like to see no no that's great those are great um so let's go back um let's go back and talk about like you were talking about because i know this is part of what you teach about how to um teach plays you were going to talk about that yeah so you may be familiar with uh, coach doug novak up there at bethel in minnesota yes and something he when he was on my podcast we had talked about this it was actually a conversation he's kind of become a friend my uh, in-laws live up there and anytime I go up there he's always very generous and makes time for me and talks with me and something that we had talked about um, at a lunch I said oh, coach I need to get you on the show to talk about this was teaching plays and ways to kind of effectively do that uh, for years we had set aside time where we'd take a chunk and maybe do five on O, and then you run it five on five and how you incorporate it kind of typical for most coaches. What he would do is he would actually teach the new play and everybody would, he would just have one group, his primary group that would run the play while everyone else is run, is watching. And then they would go on and do skill work. And then at any time when he wanted to, you know, according to his practice plan, he would call them back together and he actually splits up his team into three groups. He'll have his, his starters. He'll have kind of like a second starting group. Yep. And then they have either their, their JV team or their, their gold group. And so he'll just call a group and be like, all right, gold guys, you're up. And you basically get one opportunity to run the play. And if it doesn't work, he says, nope, that's not right. Teammates help him out. And then they go on and do more skill work. So it's actually the players who are keeping each other accountable and teaching the plays to each other. I love that. If one guy doesn't get it right and it's always random. So we get that randomization that you're not just running through something and then the kids go and, and they come back and they kind of forget it. And there's that pressure too to remember it, right? You don't want to be the, the doofus that screws it up. But I find what I find with that from someone that's coached a long time is that's great. And I've used that, I've used that skill before. What I do is make them go to a different position sometimes too, because what will happen is they'll learn one specific spot. That's the mm -hmm. same thing on out of bounds plays. And you never know, you might not be in that spot. You might, right. you know, one of the other elbows, if you're running like a, a horn set or something. And that, that's what I find. They start cheating the system a little bit. So mm -hmm. you got to really work on trying to keep them honest, quote unquote, about that. Um, and the reality is, too, you're probably not going to – some of you don't have 15 players. Right. I mean, by the end of the year, a couple of years ago, we had nine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so you may have a kid that has to play a second position or how many times do you practice in your practice with these five and then the game starts and then two of those guys are in foul trouble and you're looking out there on the court with a lineup. You're like, we haven't practiced anything with this group. Right. So I think that can, <laughs> what you just said, can be a huge asset for actually the games. Um, I would say one other thing that we do a lot of times is we'll play three possessions 
and we'll start with an out of bounds play and I'll actually, you'll score it. So if you get to, if you get a score off of that, then that counts towards the points where you go right. to the other end, you play five on five, you come back and then we have a score and then we flip it around, let the other team go five on five and then, or we'll do five on O to five on five and then five on five back. So, I mean, there's plenty of ways you can do it, make it competitive. I even towards the end of the year, a couple of years ago, was just on the fly. I could tell that they were kind of bored with the way that we did it. So I said, all right, best of five. So your team would run an out-of-bounds play. If you scored, you got a point. And then the next team would run an out-of-bounds play. And if they got it, they scored it, they got a point. And then they would huddle back up and say, okay, we're running this play. Because everybody knows that your plays, right? You can't just stand right. there and then call them. So we would huddle up and they would call the play they'd come back out and they have to go through every single out of bounds play Well, you get to number five and they knows what's coming. That's where you better set good screens and look for just the tiniest open because you got to get that score to be able to win the five at best out of five. So I like that a couple of ways you can do it, make it competitive. We're always trying to make things competitive. I think that's becoming more of a standard practice, right? Doing either small sided games or competing right. to some degree. Uh, but we try to keep every part of practice as competitive as possible, especially at the college level. I mean, those kids, they want playing time, right? So, right. you know, what's going to separate? How well did you compete in practice? How well did you play with that group that you were with on the floor? And I love small sided games. I think what Oliver's done is great with all that stuff. I think that, that the problem is I have kids that can't, that, I, have to te- I have to spend time teaching actual skills too. Sure. It's like, you know, sure. it's so hard. And it's like, if you only do one thing, it's like teaching. I've taught for 30 years. If I only lecture all the time, they're going to tune me out. If I only yeah. do group work, they're going to tune me out. I think a good practice has everything to be honest with you. Um, It's like a good classroom. Um, You know, there's more than one way of painting, you know, doing a painting. You know, if you, if we all do the same way, we all, we all look at the same landscape and try to paint it. It's all going to be a little different. Um, I think that's important for coaches that are listening too. It's like, you got to find what works for you and your players. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're right. Variety and competitive and, especially with my guys is the more competitive I can make it, the better I think it is. Um, so what do you think the hardest thing to teach is? As far as hardest goes, I would say the or thing difficult just, for you, you know, or difficult for the players. It doesn't. Yeah. Matter. I would say that, that at this point it's the, what takes the greatest amount of time to learn. And I think what you just said is, is key there this week on my podcast, actually today, the time of our recording, this is the 10 year anniversary of the passing of John Wooden. Okay. And so we have a special series this week devoted to John Wooden and people that were affected and impacted by him. And um, something that was said the other day by one of the guests was he knew how the students learned and he catered his teaching to their learning. You know, I don't know that there's one thing that comes to mind as far as like, what's the hardest thing to teach. The hardest thing is getting my players to understand and, and understand how they learn. So I think it kind of rests more on me than it does on the, the student. And I think probably as a younger coach, you're thinking, or you don't think, and you just teach and you're like, I don't understand why they don't get it. Right. And you think that maybe they're the problem, but I think as you get older, you understand this, like I'm the problem. Uh, so <laughs> how can I fix the way that I'm teaching it? Once you realize that some kids are verbal, some kids are kinesthetic, some kids are visual, you're going to be missing 
kids are, some kids are going to be harder to reach than others. And it's not their fault. It's your fault. It is. Let me, let me just give one story. So talking about that tactile kinesthetic learner. So I'm explaining a play to a kid and I'm saying, you need to screen. And then I think there was a screen rescreen action. You need to screen and then you need to turn this way and rescreen again, because if you turn the other way, then the defense can slip through. So it's important that you turn this way. He turned the wrong way, like three to five times. Finally, I went out there, I, like I showed him, I said, all right, this way, and then turn this way. He's standing literally almost face to face for me. So I know he can see me. And he went out and turned the wrong way again. Finally, the last time I grabbed them by the shoulders and said, all right, we're going to walk through this. You're going to screen and then turn this way. And he started turning against me. And I had to, with my strength, turn him the right way. Right. And as I'm turning him, he kind of like let his strength go and turn the right way with me. And you could almost see like a light bulb go off in his head. Like he just right. had to do it the right way himself. Right. And then he turned the right way. And that wasn't on, that wasn't my fault. I mean, right. excuse me, that wasn't his fault. That was my fault. I hadn't, right. I hadn't, I hadn't reached him. So I would say that the hardest thing is not teaching a play or blob or a slob or conceptual offense or the right way to play defense. The hardest thing is communicating so that they can learn so that we can accomplish whatever we're trying to do. And here's a couple of side notes. First of all, it's about knowing, I think the hardest part of, I mean, I'm married to a psychologist, but I think part of the hardest part of coaching is there's plenty of resources, learning out of bounds, play all that. You got to learn your players. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I'll tell you a story. I had a player this year that, that he was just like, he was, having, he was like my sixth or seventh man. He was having a tough day. I had him in class. I knew he was having a tough day. Him and I already talked and my assistants come in and we're practicing and he's just like, he's just not with it. No one. And I knew at that point he needed to be left alone. He didn't need mm -hmm. to be yelled at. He didn't need to be like corrupt. And I, and I would gather him back in, but mm -hmm. It's, it's reading, I think the hardest part is, as, especially as a young coach, is learning. You got to spend the time to learn each one of them <laughs> and how they, you know, I was the kind of kid that if you got on me, I took it personally and I was going to, I was going to go do it right. I didn't like, it, what coach was just trying to make me better. I, that was the kind of player I was, but a lot of players aren't that way. It's like, I think that read is really, really hard, you know. Yeah, we, I just had a guest on that talked about the disc assessment and it's basically understanding your players their personality the things that motivates them their behavioral tendencies we say this but you don't know it until you know it right and right. it's that you play psychology and psychologist a lot of times as a coach like yes. there are times and you can if you know your players well I can tell as a kid is entering the gym, he's having a rough day. This probably isn't going to be a very good practice for him. I just have to give him the grace kind of to have a bad practice, even though it may go against what I want my plans. But, you know, you're, you're a coach, right? And you understand that this is only a part of their life. They've got other things going on outside of that. And so I think just like you said, taking the time to understand your players, understand how they learn, understand the other influences that are in their lives. And then how can I help with all of those together? Right. I think that's the hardest. That's one of the biggest challenges for a coach is it is for a teacher too. Mm -hmm. um, especially in the last couple of months as a teacher trying to, trying to teach the things I need to teach via mm -hmm. this zoom and via you know, just, it's been hard. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's probably the hardest two months of my teaching career in 30 plus years, because I think it's such teaching is such a, um, interactive thing. Uh, 
And, you know, not that we're not, you and I aren't interacting, but it would be different if we were sitting in a room having breakfast together. Um, You know what I mean? There's, I don't know how to quantify that, but it's different. Um, And I think that's a challenge all of us are facing right now. Um, I I think it's important to remember too, we say that, you know, things aren't like they used to be. You know, we've discovered that the effective way now is not to just sit and lecture all the time. The truth of the matter is 50, 60 years ago, kids were more inclined to and trained to because of their other activities to sit and listen longer periods of time. Right. Maybe not that we're, it's better now that we're doing it this way. It's that we're adapting to how they already are conditioned to learn. Right. And if you're not interactive and if you're not engaging and asking questions, like that's another thing that I would encourage coaches. If you're the one talking all the time and there's no questions being asked, and no answers being given by your players, don't expect them to be decision makers and problem solvers, right? Another thing that we talk about in sports now, it's not just teaching them the technical skills and the tactical skills, it's the decision-making skills as well. But if you're not using that those techniques in practice to teach them decision-making and, you know, answering questions, like don't expect them to be good decision makers in games. I agree. Um, So, Give me a two sentence coaching, your coaching philosophy in two sentences. There, there's just so much more that goes into to it than just the basketball, right? I mean, we just talked about the other components and the fact of the matter is, is that these kids are, they're gone after four years, but I do know in those four years that I probably have at least as good, big of an impact, probably greater impact on them than anybody else in their life because of the fact that the amount of time that we're spending together, you know, at the college level, especially I'm with them in practice. I'm with them on overnight trips. I'm with them in the vans and the buses. And so I've been even challenged to kind of make the most of those opportunities. And it's not talking to them all the time because they don't want to be talked to all the time, but just knowing that I care, I think even right now, this day and age that we're living in the situations that we're going through, like sending them a text and making sure that they know that I care about how they're thinking and how they're feeling. So I think overall, that's what I do. I send like, I'll, I'll send a Snapchat to, I have a couple yeah. of groups that, since the current, I mean, and I'll just, I'll send it to my varsity. I'll send it to my, I'll say, Hey, how you guys doing? You know, and I'll, I'll be on a walk or something and it'll, you know, it's like just checking in kind of, yeah. um, I think just being, I mean, philosophy, if I, one sentence is just impacting them, impacting them for life and beyond. I mean, you know, basketball and beyond because, you know, it ends at basketball, but there's a good chance that, and I hope that we talk about our program being family. You know, I bring my family around a lot. They all know the players, Um, the players all know them. I, I want them to see me and my family and see this is the way that hopefully I'm doing it, doing it the right way. Right. That the family should be raised. And I've got some that don't have fathers. I've got some who have split homes. Right. Like I want to show them what a home looks like that love each other and that, you know, want their kids to grow up the right way and that they need to be a leader and provide. And so, you know, the, the impact beyond basketball is bigger for us than the basketball. I mean, the basketball usually takes care of itself when your culture is right. And I think the culture is based off of what you value. And if you're valuing the right things, it's kind of all circular, right? Like the basketball again, will take care of itself. What's uh, what's one thing you've learned in the last six months? Um, as a teacher, I'm just constantly, it may not be the last six months, but I'm just reminded of it in the last six months is to con- be a continual learner. Um, a quote that I saw the other day, I'll butcher it, but you know, gaining knowledge is not always learning. 
So in this day and age, especially as we sit here as, you know, the ironic part is both of us produce content right. for other people to learn from. Right. I'm going to continue to do that. But the fact of the matter is by it, it's not going to make me a better coach by just watching all 500 virtual clinics. Right. Right. Like I, I need to sit down and actually focus on something. And that was something we, we instituted a new offense this last year. And I really dove into it, made it my own. And I felt like I really grew in an area that I didn't know a lot about, but I spent a lot of time on it. And so in this day where we consume a lot of knowledge and information, there can probably be too much that I'm, I'm gaining and too much that I'm learning, that I'm listening to, but I'm not really learning. Right. Oh, those clinics, when, when the pandemic started, those clinics, I literally would pick one a day and watch because it was too much it was first yeah. of all like oh my god I, this is yeah. like this is yeah. overload like, and i went for about two weeks and then i just stopped and it wasn't that the clinics weren't any good anymore right it, it was just that like i was just at maximum capacity and i felt too like i really wasn't learning anything i was just hearing good stuff that was great but i, I really wasn't learning anything. Hey everybody i hope you're enjoying the podcast make sure you subscribe like um we love those. Um, and send me an email, steve at teachhoops.com. Tell me what you want to hear in the future. Also, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. Have a great day. And the problem is it just comes in. It's kind of like it just comes in and then it goes away because it's like, oh, that's great. But it's not you didn't you're not. It's like I, it's like diving into a good book. You dive into the book and you learn and you both and then you go out. Then you'll remember that stuff. It's when with all that noise, I think it's really hard. Um, is there one? Is there one? moment one um coaching moment success a failure that we could dive into that a young coach might learn from yeah i think it, i've spoken to that national championship game so i'll just tell you how it worked out in the last few seconds we had an opportunity with about 10 seconds left to win the game and we were down by one point <laughs> brought the ball over to the sidelines and called a timeout and ran a play and looking back on it I, I don't regret it, but the things that I, in the moment I did, because I thought, oh man, if we had only done this, and I think just being more prepared for those moments, it's not necessary that your players are prepared for everything. I think they need to be prepared, but it's, it's a sport where you don't know what the opponents are going to do. And there's a lot of opponents, right? Right. So like, there's so many factors that you can't control we talk about controlling the controllables and one of those controllables is you being completely prepared so i think you know me being prepared for exactly what i want to happen at the end of a game um you know and all the possibilities and you know again the players don't need to know what all of those possibilities are or what the defense is you know a whole we could talk a whole nother podcast about scouting right and right. i could tell you literally everything about every about every player on the opposite team but the truth of the matter is your players aren't going to remember any of it right right so i can there's a point where i can give them too much information but that doesn't mean that i don't need to know all that right and so just making sure that i'm prepared for each moment i think that goes back to the point that we just talked about and as a teacher i'm probably biased to this but I just feel like I need to keep learning. I need to keep growing. I need to keep um, expanding what I know and what I understand so that I'm prepared for whatever comes next or that I can lead those young people into whatever that is and be prepared. Like you, you know, this feeling, you don't want to be in a situation where everybody's looking at you. Right. And you don't know what to do. Right.
And I think that that only comes with time. And I think that we're never as individuals prepared for everything, but I can continue to grow and learn. And that's something going back to that John Wooden, you know, Steve Lavin, I was talking to him about it last week. And he said, coach was learning up until the day that he died. I think we all know that, but actually being devoted to that and taking the time to do that is something different. It's, it is, it is. And I tell the co I tell young coaches too. I said, you need to know everything. Your players don't need to know everything. I mean, exactly. I need to know how to run a one, three, one, and I need to know how to counter it. They don't, <laughs> they need to know some things, but you, you know, that's where you have to be Yoda. Um, and you have to know all, and then, you know, they have to, you have to be able to convey that to them when they need it. Um, I would say too, like that, it takes a, a dose of humility as well. There are times where I don't tell my players everything. Right. And I know sometimes they're thinking like, this guy's an idiot, or this guy really doesn't know what he's talking about. And I can stand there and defend myself and say, yeah, I, I know. And, and I think younger coaches probably are more apt to do that. I probably was when I was a younger coach. Right. But there are times where I can see it on their face. Like I've coached long enough where I can tell that you're thinking right now that I'm an idiot. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I know more about this situation than you do, but I don't need to tell you that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right. So let's do rapid fire. These are just qu quick questions. Um, What's your favorite, what's the favorite brand of basketball, the actual ball you used to play with and why? The Jet. And I think the, the I'm talking about the old Wilson Jet. Wow, no one has said that. And so that made I don't even know if I've seen a Wilson yeah. Jet. They tried to bring them back and remake them. And when they brought them back, so probably the people that are listening to this are like, that ball is junk. And it was junk. I'm talking about the original Wilson Jets. Okay. They, were, they were great. I had two two or three of them um but we're talking about like the 90s jet not the and, 2000s jet and they were it was the feel you like the feel too, it wasn't too tacky it also wasn't too slick it was i mean it was a ball ahead of its time okay um one word to describe your ideal player teachable okay um one thing you would change about the game not for me but for you guys is the shot clock okay we well, you, you and i could have an hour discussion on the shot clock at some point uh, <laughs> I'm not anti-shot clock. I'm just not sure what it does to the game. Like, how does it improve the game? Uh, selfishly, for me, it is kind of a... I think it's boring, first of all, with the shot clock. <clears throat> I went to a game one time recruiting, and it was... <coughs> right. And then it doesn't, do, it doesn't do your players who are going on, which I know is a small percentage. Very small. Very <laughs> small percentage, Yeah but it doesn't do them any advantage. Right. No, I agree. And the thing is, I think, and here's, here's my counter to that. The game you want, I'm a, I'm a statistician by trade. So the game you saw was an observational study, which was you just seeing one thing and it really sticking with you. There's tens of thousands of games that it's not mm -hmm. an issue. Um, right. I, I do think it, you know, it, it, it would be different for me though, coaching at that level because it changes strategy towards the end of a game. So, it does change strategy. And the thing is, I deal with players that when they have the ball in the hand can do something with it. There's a lot of, lot of small towns, lots of mm -hmm. things that I don't know necessarily it would be good for the game at that level, 
Mm-hmm. You know, we think about it in our level, like my guys, most of my guys can play college basketball if they want, if they play for me. Right. You know, we're dealing with kids that, you know, they, this, they pick it up after, you know, football season and that's all they do. And it's right. like, or, you know, it's a, it's a small school in rural Wisconsin who has seven kids on the roster. I, I mean, that's my, I don't think it's coming. I definitely think it's not coming now because of finances. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think too, you know, a lot of it is influenced. The coaches that I hear speaking about are influenced by style of play. And if you look historically at the game, style of play is associated with region of the country. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Historically, it is. Yeah. It has been changing. And so you probably get voiced opinions of people who prefer a style of play that aren't. And I play a very fast style. The most, I don't think the shot clock would be an issue. I'm just, I understand why the three point line came in. I understand. I personally think it's not, I mean, I think we should get rid of the jump ball. That's my thing before I'm done with this thing. Mm-hmm. Why do we jump the balls at the beginning of the game? I mean, mm-hmm. they're horrible at tossing it. And, you know, it's an archaic thing. Why are we doing that anymore? Um, Why don't we just give it to the visiting team and start the game on the sideline? Let's go. Like, I mean, it's archaic. So, I mean, I understand rule changes, but the rule changes should have a meaning behind them. That's my only issue with the shot clock. I, you know, I I don't think it would come into play. I think you can teach people to do it. You know, one of the arguments is it's a hard thing to do. I agree. But I think anyway, it's that that could be an eight hour discussion. (laughs) It is literally whenever I want to get people going on Twitter, I'll just ask about the shot clock. Yeah, there is you are in one camp or another. I'm actually in the middle. I don't really care. I just I'm just not sure what it does for the game. I think what makes high school unique is it doesn't have it. Most of it doesn't have it. Um, that you can play a different style. You know, if it, I think it's going to become more vanilla if everybody in the country had the shot clock. I think the games would become very similar. Um, similar to the collegiate game, um, especially at the D1 level. But I don't know. Just, you know, we could talk about this. There's a counter and, a, and, a, and another counter to every shot clock discussion. Right. Uh, if you go to one sporting event, what would you go to and why? I've already been to it. It was a national championship game and my team won. So I feel like experience is kind of over at this point. Okay. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite pregame meal? I actually don't eat that much after or before because I know that the postgame meal is probably going to be better than the pregame meal. So the pregame <laughs> meal is typically like a salad. I don't, I don't normally eat. I usually forget to eat. Um, one skill not being taught in today's game. I think it's what we talked about earlier, and it's not that it's not being taught. I just think that we're just not used to teaching it is the decision-making. Okay. And I, I, I think that there's ways to do it to do it more effectively, but people are learning how to do that. And what does that mean? That's one of those terms like decision-making. Okay, so what does that actually look like? And I think as a teacher, you know, breaking the skills down to those details, this is what teaching the players what to look for and that we talked about earlier. I think just us becoming better at decision-making um, rather than and coaches aren't doing it. I just don't feel like they know exactly the best way to do it yet. Do you think this is a side note, not a, not a question from my list. Um, do you think kids are better or worse shooters than they were 10 years ago? Ours are better, but that's because we spend more time on it. Um, I know at the high school level, it's not fair too because I'm getting players who typically are your better shooters because they're playing at the college level, right? Right. So, um, but I do know working with camps and working with my other coaching friends who have come to me for advice, 
I've told them spend more time on shooting and their teams have gotten better at shooting and they win more games. Like they do. It, it's just simply, they do. I think, I, I think everybody it. can be a shooter. I'm not sure everyone can be a scorer. Correct. Um, I think everybody can be a shooter. Like I would agree. What here's a side note. This is another side note, just for question for you. Cause I, again, listen to your podcast last. What do you think of the mid game, the mid shot, the, 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 not the, not the three footer and in and not the three pointer and out. Do you think the mid-range game is coming back? I think it's going I think in the next 5 to 7 years it's going to come back. So let me just teach you ta- tell you how I teach at the college level. What I typically find is when kids come in, they want to be shooting off the dribble, they just practice. I mean, you watch a kid before practice, right? Like he's just shooting everything. Right. And what you end up is with a master of none. Right. And so what I will work on with their freshman year is they will come in and they will shoot catch and shoot from spots on the floor that I know in our offense, they will get catch and shoot threes. Okay. So we work exclusively, literally exclusively on that. Once they, I feel like they've achieved kind of like where I want them to be with that. Then we'll start working on shooting off the dribble, catch and shoot threes. Then when I feel like they're, or they've put in a lot of work off the dribble, one bounce, you know, the shot fake one bounce, pull up jump shot. There was a player in those clips that I was just showing you. He was an All-American, and he was fantastic at shooting from deep. He was, I think, at his senior year, a 40, like a 40-50-90. I think, actually, he was close to being a 50-50-90 kid. He was fantastic at shooting from three, which means that defenders would fall for his shot fake. He'd take one dribble, mid-range pull-up jump shot, and he shot around 50-plus percent there. I think we're all against the mid-range because kids aren't good at it. Kids aren't good at it because they don't practice it. I'm not saying that you should spend more time practicing it. I'm saying if a kid practices it and you're okay with it, then become a mid-range shooter. The problem is, is that we don't teach finishing. We teach finishing by getting out a giant pad and whopping them in the head when they get to the basket and say that we're practicing finishing and the kids can't finish because nobody can finish when they're getting whopped in the head right. with a giant red pad. Like I just think, again, it goes back to the way that you practice. So what are you going to value? What are you going to spend your time practicing? And if the mid range shot is, you know, how many kids do we have that you can tell them to get to the basket and finish, but they're so small or they're not strong enough that they're not going to finish anyways. That kid may be somebody that you want him to teach a mid-range jump shot. To. Right. That's so, what I'm doing with my son. He's about six one, and it's like he can shoot the three like no tomorrow. I said, your next step is not the rim. Your next step is the mid-range. Because yeah. um, I think a lot of – I think a lot of – when you well, – I've watched enough film. You probably watch more than me. But you notice that a, there's a lot of openings right now in the mid-range. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. people are leaving that. Um, well, if you think about it, where your help defenders, your help defenders are in the paint because their players are in the paint because all we pay attention to is the paint and the three-point line. Right. So I think that if you're able to do it, then you are going to carve out a niche for yourself. I do. And I think I love what you said about that, that progression of, you know, master this. I mean, mm-hmm. Don't be a master of none. Be a master this. And then once you've mastered that, I have other things in the toolbox you can use. Um, some, some, I had a couple of guests on who are, if I mentioned them, the audience would know who they are and they don't necessarily agree with that entirely. It's not, they disagree with it. They just are more open to kind of, I think it goes back again to that randomizing principle. Right. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. We shoot from different spots 
shots on the floor. It's just that once you start putting the ball on the floor and then getting the ball up, you're adding so many additional factors into getting that ball right to the right shot pocket and shooting it at the right release point. You're just adding additional factors. That's the reason why I start with catch and shoot. If you teach it the right way, you can't really screw up. I catch, I get it to where I need to get it, and I shoot it and release it, and it goes in. You start bouncing it. I mean, we're talking about are you a left-hand pull-up shooter because you've got to bring the ball now across your body are you a right bounce pull up shoot like the ball is right. all over the place right and you just immediately decrease the consistency in your shoot. but i even think i even think so i even think you can find mid-range off the catch like i'm not even saying complicate the what they're doing from behind the three yeah. i think there's i think there's an opening and this is just yeah. me this is just me spitting stuff out at this point i think there's an opening over the next five to 10 years. Cause everyone, if you, everyone's doing analytics, everyone's doing shoot threes or attack the rim. I just think there's a, I think there's an opening for, for people. No one's talking about it unless I'm missing it. About yeah, that a lot mid- of it too, I think has to do with where you're again, going back to style, where are you originally placing your players on the floor? Right. And I think that, you know, you and I are from a time you Reggie Miller started out underneath of the basket and is running off pin downs right if you think about it how many plays start off with i run off a pin down off the bottom the the defender is locking and chasing and i'm curling into an open spot somewhere around 15 feet feet catching right. it and shooting it like it's, it's i think again it goes back to style i do too i mean i i'll, I'll beat anybody in a buff because we used to when i was in high school we ran like a very structured i mean and we were there was no three-point line when i was in high school and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll beat any one of my guys right now shooting 15 mm-hmm. footers because I, that's mm-hmm. what I did. Yeah. I didn't, there was no reason for yeah. me to move deeper. Uh, <laughs> I didn't need to. Right. Um, all right. Well, how, what do you do to relax? What's one thing you do to relax? Um, this is what I, I have had other coaches get after me for this. What I do to relax is to talk to you about basketball and okay. watch basketball. And it's just a hobby. I mean, I, I just, I love it. So yeah. outside of that, just spending time with my kids going kids. on a walk or whatever. Oh yeah. Your kids are a great age. What, uh, what coaching technique do you consider important? Uh, the teaching. Okay. Uh, I, I think, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I think that the teaching is something that we all know is important, but until you get reps doing it, you're probably not going to be a very good teacher. Yeah. And I think that that just takes time. And so I do think that it's a skill, but it's not just a skill that either you have or you don't have. I think that you can get better at it, but you need to put yourself in positions to teach as much as possible. There are a ton of guys out there who know the game. And I guarantee you there are a ton of guys who are st- sitting on benches at the D1 level who know far more than I do or any other teacher does. But I get reps in the classroom literally every day. And I think that I have an advantage over some of those who just stand on the sidelines and do a little. T- right. Uh, I agree. Um, what's um, what's the best what's the best ba- best basketball player you have seen you have seen in person? I mean, I don't know about like the best, but like just the most impressive is just I, I, I'm from South Carolina and, you know, I recruited up at. Uh, the star center where Zion played all of his games. And so I'll just go with most impressive that there was his junior year where it was before everybody knew who he was. So I was sitting in stands that weren't that packed on one of these side courts and he went up for a dunk and missed the dunk and it stayed back to half court. And it was the most impressive dunk I've ever seen. And it didn't go in. <laughs> I know we played, it was uh, incredible. We, we played it. 
we played we came out for a tournament at Dunham, Dunham, um Durham, Dorman. Dorman. Durham, yeah. Yeah. Um that's a pr- pr- impressive high school facility. Um yeah. yeah, but uh that that was when Zion was still down there, so he was definitely the talk in Spartansburg. Yep. Um uh what's um best player of all time? Jordan, but Okay. At the college level, Kareem. The player that I would want to play with is LeBron. So I know those are all different answers. That's all different I, answers. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think there's one that lives in Wisconsin right now that's got could be in the discussion by the time he's done, I think. Oh, okay. I think right. yeah, I think Giannis could be that special. I do. Yeah. I really do. I don't know. Yeah. He's just he he's a basketball body when you look at him and see him play in person. If you put some ooh, I don't know. It'll be will be interesting. There has to be a freakish element. Yeah. Yes. There has Yeah. Yeah. To be that player, you have to be one in a million. Yeah. Um, one thing that's helped you become a better coach. Actually, I think it's, I talked about, uh, coach Uaro and his, and and coach ring who coached before was like this as well. I was just in a different position, but those were both of them were individuals who gave me a responsibility and then let me learn in that responsibility. I think if you can, I would say to young coaches, get on a staff where the coach is not a micromanager and is interested in investing in you. And, you know, it's not, it's not about, Hey, what will you do for me? Those things, most coaches are willing to invest in you and let you grow and develop. And both of those men have really given me responsibility and then let me learn. Hey everybody. Hope you enjoyed that. If you want to support us, you want to help us get the lights on here at teachups.com, go over, join 14 day free trial. And then, Stop the car, subscribe, like, Apple five-star review. That would be good. All right, maybe. Have a good day. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.